You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information, visit us at www.redwoodbaptist.org. We are currently in a series entitled God Friends. Appreciate that gospel story and Jessica's willingness. Children, you may be dismissed for uh, Children's Church, but just her willingness to uh, allow that uh, testimony to get out there. And uh, really, it really does dovetail with uh, this new just mini short series that uh, we're going to spend the next three weeks on. Uh, and um, I'm, I'm just thankful for that. I'm thankful that Christ is enough. I'm thankful that God surrounds people uh, with uh, with friends, with you know, with pastors, things like that, to uh, give us the give us the help that's needed. You know, I, I'm also really, really thankful for uh, for Jamie and Nick in the back, and uh, they they kind of have a ministry that really kind of goes unseen. And uh, there was like a little the only time they ever get noticed is when there's a mistake, right? And it's like, oh man, and here's what they, people they start doing one of these things. And uh, I was kind of just in the back and I was just like, don't worry about it. You know, it's like it, it stuff like this happens. And but I'm thankful for you too. And it's a it's a ministry that is very much it's needed in our day. It uh, it just really uh, helps in, in the services. So I appreciate you. And uh, it's okay when there's a mistake, Nick. Uh, just kidding. Uh, but no, in, in all reality, that's the only time often they get noticed is when there's a mistake. And so often the uh, the services just go off beautifully without even a hitch. And so I just wanted to publicly say thank you to both of you. And uh, also I'm thankful for, for Mike. He puts all the stuff in through the week and uh, I get him the information and he puts it up there. And so I'm thankful, uh, very, very thankful for him. I'm excited to start just a three-week series uh, in leading up to uh, our our Sunday with uh, John Guy here, a, uh, a church planner to Tempe, Arizona. And uh, my prayer is, and I've already talked to some people that I knew were not going to be here today, Labor Day weekend, that uh, this message will go up on the uh, go up on the website and the podcast within I don't know a couple days, and that we would kind of we'd kind of try to encapsulate all of these together. It's going to be a different type of series. Uh, I've entitled the series "Got Friends." And um, it's not so much like maybe what we're used to, where we just kind of uh, just go through a text. But my desire is that the Lord will use the Word of God to, uh, to be a great help uh, to you. And uh, this morning is kind of just an introductory uh, type of, of message to prepare us for uh, really the two weeks to come. Uh, and uh, I've entitled the message, The Basis for Redemptive Friendships. What is, what is the basis uh, for what a redemptive or what a redeemed type of friendship looks like. And so I want to ask the Lord one more time to bless this time and also to glorify him for uh, just the mighty working in uh, Jessica's life and uh, how he's using her uh, for his honor and glory through this pain. And so let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you, uh, God, for your grace that is just as you, as we watch this video, that God, it is so evident Lord, that it has been sufficient. And uh, Lord, there are no doubt seasons of darkness and bad days, and uh, yet through it all, uh, we know that Christ has always been there. And uh, God, we glorify you uh, for that ministry that you have in our lives. And uh, Lord, I pray that, Lord, if there are uh, others that might be in our congregation that are, are struggling with uh, similar uh, pasts, that, 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 we would not, that we wouldn't hide from that, that we would find... Uh, friends and, and men and women that uh, can point us back to Christ, that can be that, that, that loving friend uh, 
that can uh, be there during these difficulties. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this morning's message. I pray that God, you would, um, that I would submit it to your sovereignty to do uh, in our lives that which you desire to do. I pray that we'd put our guards down. I pray that we would, um, Lord, allow your word to be found true this morning. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, help those that are hurting, Lord, through friends. And uh, may each of us desire to uh, to be a uh, the right type of friend, one that looks like the, re- the, the redemptive way that it ought to be. And Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start this morning by asking you a question. How many friends do you have? How many, how many friends do you have? Now, I guess, your, I guess your answer to that question will really vary depending on how you define a friend. You know, we have, we have best friends, we have good friends, we have old friends, we have family friends, we have Facebook friends, right? Uh, Facebook friends. And uh, so I'm uh, officially, um, you, know, um, you know, today uh, meeting, um, you know, Sarah as well as Travis. And I've been a friend on Facebook, but I've never, I've never met them before. I know, I know Sarah's uh, brother, uh, Stephen Teal, uh, for, for many years. But it all depends on how you define a friend. You know, do you have thousands of friends? Do you have only a close-knit couple good friends? You know, friends are a wonderful thing. Uh, they, they make us laugh. They, they lift our spirits uh, when we are in their presence. Uh, our most memorable moments often are surrounded by either some family friends, family, or those that we're close to, companions, so to speak. Uh, but often, uh, some of the, uh, the most highlights of your life are probably connected to a friend or two or, or multiple during difficult days, oftentimes, they will surround us with love and with support. But no matter how many friends you have uh, this morning and how many moments you have shared, everyone here that's hearing this, hearing this message and anybody that will hear it digitally, we all share one thing in common. Well, there's many things, but it's particularly with this message. And it is that we have never had and we have never been a perfect friend. By that, I simply mean that our friendships are never absent of disappointments. In some way, whether significant or insignificant, our friends have failed us or we have failed our friends. I want you to to think about it here this morning. While some of your deepest joys are a result of friends, so are your most painful hurts can be from the hands or the or the words or the thoughts and actions of a friend there are nights when you are with a group of people that you that you never want to end oh if this could just if this could just go on forever and then there are days where you wish you could live in complete isolation away from people Away from those that have potentially hurt you. Friendship is an integral part of the human existence. And we all have been shaped significantly by relationships that are full of both bliss as well as sorrow. 
And so I want to ask you a substantive question. What does the Bible say about friendships? Oftentimes, if we um, look, you know, if we're just going to go to, you know, one text and we're going to think, all right, okay, what does it say about friendship? And then oftentimes we will miss the vast majority of what God intends for us in the whole of Scripture and how the Gospel interweaves in every single relationship and situation that you and I are called to live in. But it is important to know why God designed friendship. And it's important to know what God says about friendship. Through His Word, He has given us an accurate lens with which we can kind of keep our eyes from being naive to what it should be or keep us from coming to a place of where we become cynical when it comes to our relationships. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want to give you a few introductory thoughts about friends that can keep your keep your relationships healthy in a way that is uh, redemptive in its nature. And so I want to start. It's kind of just, just introductory thoughts, and then uh, over the next couple weeks we'll, we'll dive into Ephesians 4, and if you want to read ahead, you're gonna, that, that's kind of where we're going to spend a couple weeks. But I want you to notice, first of all, friendships are intended. Friendships are intended. When you begin to read the Word of God, we, we, we learn that that God is a, you know, He is a triune God and that we are been created in the image of God. But we come into Genesis 2 and we find that it wasn't good for, for man to, to be alone. In Genesis 2.18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Now this statement, hear me, this statement is broader than marriage. It's broader than just a than just a man and a woman coming together. Now you and I know that the you know like the direct interpretation of this text would be that God, you know, gave Eve, you know, to be a you know to be the spouse of Adam. But what God is saying on a general just general plane, he's saying it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for us to be alone. And it applies to the way God designed all of humanity. You and I, we were, we were created in the image of God. The word there, help meet, uh, used to describe Eve, is not defining her as simply just a co-worker, but instead, companion. Companion. And so God created us. I want you to follow this statement. God created us to live with companionship, companions, because God is a social God, living in a community within Himself, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you were to, to go earlier in Genesis, the Bible says, let us make man in our image. Those are plural terms. And they would be referencing the Godhead. It would be referencing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so God, from the very beginning, was in a community, so to speak, in a social kind of a social way. And so you and I being created like God in His image with, with that desire and that need for friends. Now, there's benefits that come naturally from friendships you know obviously having a companion maybe that eve would have been you know uh to to 
to, to Adam, you know, on an everyday life and an everyday basis, obviously there's, there's beauty in that. But then just the companion of friends that kind of that do life with you, right? That, that, that walk along uh, in, in step with you. Uh, those people that are there on a daily or, you know, kind of a weekly basis, they're a blessing. Having someone to comfort you during difficult times. You, you, you heard Jessica allude to how God used some of, the, some of the people in her life to minister to her, to push her to Christ, to, to, to push her to the, the, the grace of God that, that, that we all need. And it's nice to have people that are there during tough times. Job had a few of those, Job too. Now when Job's three friends heard all of this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place. Elphaz, the Temanite, and Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. Now, you know the rest of the Job. Sometimes, I mean, these friends were knuckleheads, and you got some knucklehead friends too, but their desire was to come and to mourn with Job. Job had lost everything. The only thing he didn't lose was his wife. Okay, Satan goes into the presence of God and says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan begins to tempt Job. And, and, and the story is uh, just the beauty, the beauty of God's faithfulness. But you've got, you've got friends that are kind of closer and they, 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 they do life with you. And then you've got someone that's willing to help you when you're hurting and in sorrow. How about a good friend that's willing to call you to repent? That's a great benefit. Uh, Solomon tells us in Proverbs 27, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Listen, you and I, we ought to, we ought to seek friendships. We ought to seek some relationships where, where, where someone's actually willing to sometimes confront you, willing to, willing to love you enough to, 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 to say the hard word. Now, we want to do it in love and things like that, but we don't want every single person just to be like, hey, everything's great. No, you want someone that, you know, maybe their, uh, the, the, their God-given ability and grace is to be able to kind of discern when you, uh, when you need some additional help. And so Christians, we need to seek out, we need to immerse ourselves in this type of community. Now, me being a man, oftentimes I see how many of the men, they, they need this, and sometimes we don't. We're so busy with work and things like that. And that's one of the reasons why uh, we're starting this men's checkpoint is to kind of to get men together where, where we can pray together, where we can laugh together, where it's not just where we're sitting and there's necessarily a lesson. It's a different, different setting, a different arena. Now, the lone wolf concept, the mentality, uh, it's often applauded in our society. But it's very dangerous and lonely to live in society. Do not cut yourself off from people because you're cutting yourself off from the original intent that God had when He created you. He designed you for companionship. He designed you for the need of people and friendships. Okay, And so friendships are intended. Let me say secondly, again, as we're kind of just going through uh, just the introductory thoughts here. Friendships can become idols. They can become idols. While human companions are beautiful, the primary relationship that Adam and Eve were designed to enjoy was their relationship with God. 
That's where they were supposed to find their, their identity. Their, their fulfillment was supposed to be found, first off, in, in God. Okay? And so vertical communion with God, with their Creator, would provide the foundation for a horizontal communion. But since we have tendencies uh, <laughs> for us to, we tend to worship the creation, right? More than we worship the Creator. Uh, Paul said uh, that was definitely a, a, a sign of, you know, of those early days. It says, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who was blessed forever. Amen. And so since you and I can sometimes have a problem with that, we sometimes have an issue of you know, worshiping the creation rather than the Creator, then your friends and my friends can become idols in our lives. And God has already given us everything that we need in Christ alone for, for life and for godliness. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According to His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And so what Peter's telling us is that in Christ, you and I, we've been equipped. We've been equipped for life and to live life in a godly way. Okay, We're supposed to find our main sustenance, our, our, our main identity is meant to be found in Christ. It's meant to be found in the Creator rather than the creation. Listen, your identity is not found in what you do at work. Your identity is not found in your marital status. Your identity is not found in the wealth that you have or the lack thereof. It's not found in what kind of car you drive and what kind of home you have. It's not found in what sports teams you root for. Hey, if you root for the Eagles, you'll win the Super Bowl again. Right, Freddie? Oh, that was awfully silent. It's okay. Love you anyways, man. But in all reality, our identity... I joked with that a little bit. It's not that, you know, it's not like I'm on the Super Bowl champs team, but I was rooting for them that day, okay? But, but that, that's, not, that's not where our identity is. Our identity is supposed to be found in Christ, and we have been given everything that we need in Him to live life and godliness. And so that means that we do not need to seek, hear me, we do not need to seek perfect relational satisfaction in imperfect people. We don't need to seek this perfection or perfect relational satisfaction. Oh, if I just if I just had the perfect spouse. Oh, if I just had the perfect friend. No, 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 no. You don't need to seek satisfaction there. Because the person that you're going to do life with, whether it's the companion of a spouse or just doing life with friends and family, all that, listen, they're imperfect. They're going to sin radically against you and you're going to sin radically against them. And so the irony is that when we reverse the order and we elevate people above God, we end up ruining those earthly relationships with the pressure that we put on them to fulfill us. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I want to be one of your dearest friends. I desire that. I desire to be more than just like a pastor and people role. I desire to be that. But hear me, I can't be everywhere. 
I cannot possibly know everything. I cannot know when you are in a valley on a Tuesday. I can't possibly know all that stuff unless you let me know that. And I'm happy to enter into that burden with you. But listen, even as I enter into that burden with you, I'm not your Savior. You following me? I'm not your rescuer. I will pray and I'll ask God to grant me wisdom to impart what He would want me to from His Word and and principles, things like that. But listen, if you're looking to me to validate you, guess what? You've put way too much pressure on me. And it's not fair. Let me flip that on you. If I am looking for you to validate me, oh, that is so unfair of me to do that to you. So unfair of you to remember everything. So unfair of you to be my to be my validation. No, 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 no. I am meant to live in communion with Christ and to find my identity with Christ. And so absolutely, friends are 100% necessary. But I think we also need to look through the lens of, hey, listen, we are we're not meant to we're not meant to find our satisfaction alone in a horizontal way it's meant to be vertical listen because if it is vertical guess what everything that happens horizontally is just gravy so if i'm finding my identity if i'm finding my security in jesus christ alone and you ever say a kind word to me thank you but guess what if i'm trying to find my identity and my security in you and you don't say a kind word, guess what? You've just ruined my week. If you didn't tell me that was the best message you've ever heard in your life, don't please don't start doing that. Don't lie to me, okay? But, but you, you following me? If we're, if we're looking for a horizontal validation, guess what? We are going to ruin each other. We're going to ruin friendships. We're going to ruin relationships. Why? Because we are in a relationship with a fallen person. I mean, we're in a fallen world. I understand that we get redeemed. I understand that in, in Jesus Christ, all things are made new. I understand that. But you and I, we still have that, that, that practical problem of sin in our life. So don't reverse them. And we naturally do that. Oftentimes we elevate a friend to the God status. We elevate that, that that man or that woman to be the one that can be the uh, you know to kind of be the band-aid so to speak to our soul when we ought to find that in Christ, and then God will use people to aid in the process. But you got to find it in Christ. Okay, let me give you number three. We, we all right this morning? Doing well? Okay, number three. Friends will be difficult. I know this is like rocket science. Friends will be difficult. I mean, the early history of friendship goes from perfect to bad to worse. You remember the harmony of that companionship with in the Garden of Adam and Eve? You know, that went totally by the wayside as soon as Adam threw his wife under the bus. You remember God confronts them. You know, they've sinned. They've, they've taken, you know, the, the fruit of the garden, you know, and God confronts them in the, in the coolness of the day. And they've, you know, it's like, you know, who, who told you you're naked? You know, they, they clothe themselves. And what does Adam begin to do? Adam begins to say, yes, Lord, I am absolutely the problem, and please help me with the redemption process. That's not what he did. 
And the man said, the woman in Genesis 3.12, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. You see what he did there? He said, he's a rascal. He didn't own up to nothing. He said, it's my wife's fault. Or kind of just companion. It's, you know, it's their fault. And then what happens in the next chapter? The next chapter, <laughs> Cain decides to kill his brother Abel. I mean, it goes from just awesome to bad to worse real quick. Many of us here this morning cannot relate with murdering a brother or a friend. At least I hope not. Okay, we got the police outside if you can relate to that. But the same sin that ruled Adam and Eve and the same sin that ruled Cain's heart exists also in your flesh and in the hearts and the flesh of our friends. You and I, you know what we bring to friendships? We bring selfishness. We bring uh, envy. We bring greed to most of our relationships. And oftentimes we don't even know it. Oftentimes we've got such selfish motives. Oftentimes we'll extend love because in return we want love. Oftentimes we'll extend a kind word because we want a kind word. Uh, it is, man, this, just, this happens in life, right? No wonder our relationships are a mess. Why? Because, don't get mad at me, because we are messes. Praise God, we serve a perfect God. Okay, So don't be shocked when your friends let you down. Don't be shocked if they even worse than just let you down. Why? Because they're going to be difficult. Just mark it down. You get into this community concept. You get into, hey man, you know what? I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be real with some people. Guess what? Those people are going to let you down. Friendships are difficult. Let me give you a fourth thing here. Friendships are redemptive. They're redemptive. If God really loved us, wouldn't He just kind of make our relationships conflict-free? And I wish. But the fact of the matter is, is that the Lord's primary purpose in our life is that He is trying to eradicate that sin from your life. Let me ask you a question. When do you tend to do the most plotting work in your life. When everything's going well or when everything isn't always going well. You and I tend to be a little more introspective when we're in the valley, right? And we're on the mountaintop, you know, we're just too busy looking down upon everybody. But when we're down in the valley, man, that's when we're 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 more introspective. God wants to use the mess of life together to be redemptive in your life, to be a part of the process. Obviously, our justification, I said this at at 10 o'clock today, our justification is an event. We trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, and you are justified. But the transformation is a lifelong process that God is continually drawing you back to Him. He convicts you, and you are, then you confess that, and He works in your life, and then you stumble back, and then, but then hopefully there is a life of becoming more and more like what God has recreated you to be in Jesus Christ. Okay? And so Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Nowhere is that sin more exposed than in relationships where a flawed person lives with a flawed person and a fallen world. That's basically what you've got. When you think of friends, flawed number one, flawed number two, fallen world, but praise God, we've got a faithful Savior. 
We've got a God that can redeem that friendship, a God that can use the good and the bad and all of it for His honor and glory. And so when our sin or our friend's sins is exposed, you and I, we've got two options. We've got option number one, I want to run away. Or I've got option number two, I want to lean in. You're either going to run away or you're going to lean in. So let me, let me help you determine what you do. Do you either run away or do you lean in? Do you, do you hide your shame? Do you defend yourself? Do you shift the blame? Do you criticize needlessly or harbor bitterness? Most likely then you're running from it. Where if you are leaning into it, that, that, that you understand that that, that, that that person that you have a friendship with, that, that, that they're flawed. That, they're, they're not going to always say the right thing. They're not always going to do the right thing. They're, you know, that, that it's going to breed sometimes some contention and things like that. Do you confess your sin? Do you seek forgiveness? Do you speak truth? Do you grant mercy? Are you an encourager of one another? Hey, I know. You're struggling right now. I forgive you. I know you didn't really mean that. I know you didn't really so on and so forth. Or do we just say, you know, and we just run from it. I think if you and I change the way that we see ourselves, I said this also at 10, where Paul says, of sinners of whom I am chief. Not I was chief. Present tense. Paul viewed himself as still needing the grace of God in his life. Every single week, our desire is to point you to the grace of Christ and to the gospel. And so God designs us that the trials of a redeeming friendship, that it will test the strength. It'll test our, it'll test our faith. God desires it to, to mature us. He desires for us to, uh, to lack nothing. James says it this way, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience or endurance or the ability to, to continue on. But let patience have her perfect work, maturing work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing or lacking nothing. Do not run away from these trials in your friendships. Do not be the first one to pick up a stone to cast it at them. Because you and I must realize that as we see a little speck in their eye, we've got a beam in ours. And so instead, realize that God uses difficult friendships. And that's what many of them are because we have fallen people. But God wants to use those very people as tools of sanctification in your life. As tools of the redemptive, eradicating the sin in your life. So lean in and rejoice, as as James says. And when the difficulty comes in your relationship with that friend, lean in. Then let me give you fifthly, and I'll, and I'll be done. Friendships have hope. We all look for tips. We all look for tricks that will improve our friendships, more effective communication, conflict resolution strategies, and all those things aren't bad, okay? Gender studies, personality typing, you know, and on and on and on. We could kind of tease about that. All you could do is go to our local uh, you know, bookstore or anything like that, and you can find health help books a dime a dozen, okay? And I'm not, uh, I'm not necessarily opposed to that. But the reality is that there are no secrets that guarantee a problem-free relationship. There's none whatsoever. There's no book 
that you can get that is going to say, hey, if you follow these ten things, you know, all of your relationships, they're going to go great. Your marriage will be perfect. Your friendship with this person. No, 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 no. Because our friendships have only one hope. And that hope is found in Jesus Christ. The shattered relationship that Jesus had with his father when he took the sin of all of mankind and his father literally turned his back on him and Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why, is you for, why have you forsaken me? That, If you allow me to kind of equate it with us, that shattered relationship with the father because of our sin, because of what he did for us, is the very hope that you and I have when it comes with vert- or, or, or horizontal relationships. Okay, Jesus reconciled us first to God, which then becomes the foundation for the way He reconciles us to one another. You remember as we concluded 2 Thessalonians last week, uh, our series, and we talked about peace and how we are at peace with God in Jesus Christ and now you and I are to live peaceably with all men to the best of our own ability. And so Jesus Christ, He, he stepped into that arena. He knows what it's like to be forsaken. He knows what it's like for someone to kind of turn their back on Him. And what Jesus does is Jesus, He stands in our place. He reconciles us vertically. And that's where it starts. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, everything I preach today, it's not going to work with your friends. Because you've got to trust Christ as your Savior. You've got to get reconciled vertically. You've got to trust what he did on the cross. He paid for our sins some 2,000 years ago. You believe in that. But we find reconciliation this way. And then you and I can always reconcile this way. Ah, friendships change. The ebb and flow of things change. You might have been best buds with somebody at one point and some things happen and you're not going to be that going forward. I get that. The ebb and flow of life changes. But you ought to try the best of your ability, everything that's in you, Paul says, to live peaceably with all men. You can't control the other person. If you sin against somebody else and they never forgive you, you can't control that. Okay? But you can try to live peaceably with all men. Now, I want to end here this morning because I know that I just said that it is impossible <laughs> to live or guarantee a problem-free relationship. And that is indeed true. But I think C.S. Lewis, in his letters, was very close to helping us be able to at least strive for that. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. When I have learnt, learned, old school language here, to love God better than my earthly dearest. Sarah, I'm going to start calling you that, my earthly dearest. But he says, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. If so far as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed but increased. Which you and I need to understand what C.S. Lewis was trying, to, was trying to get across in that is that when God reigns in our hearts, hear me, when God reigns in our hearts, then peace reigns in our friendships. When we, re, when, we, when, we, when we embrace the reconciliation that's found in the Gospel, 
And we realize that we're reconciled this way, that everything I have ever done and, praise God, will do is forgiven on the cross. Then how in the world could I hold something else against somebody? You embrace the gospel. You embrace Christ. You allow him to use these friends that are going to sin against you and you're going to sin against them. It's going to be a mess. That's what life is. Honestly, it makes us long for a better life someday, right? makes us long for heaven. But now you, you, you embrace that, that God has forgiven you in Christ. And then you allow that. Allow that to reign. And that will affect the way you live horizontally. The ultimate friendship will only be complete in heaven. But there's glimpses of it now that you and I can enjoy. The New Testament, and we will look at these in the weeks to come, offer hopes that our relationship can be characterized by things like humility. That our friendships can be characterized by gentleness and patience, by edifying honesty, by peace. All these things we're going to look at in Ephesians 4. By forgiveness, by compassion, by love. Isn't it wonderful that God's grace can make this possible even for flawed people in a fallen world? possible. But my challenge to you this morning is if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, make today that day. And if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you are doing life with people, oh by the way, that's everybody in here. Embrace the Gospel. Embrace the reconciliation that you find in God through Jesus Christ and allow that to extend to the relationships in your life. You realize that apart from that grace, apart from Him working in you, you could never get over what's being done, been, been done unto you. And yet we heard a wonderful testimony this morning of how the gospel does that and how God used people to be a part of that redemptive, that continually eradicating. She was talking about how there's times she would get bitterness. We know the bitterness of sin, right? So God, He, he, he deals with those things in the gospel and the grace. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to encourage you in a moment here to embrace it once again today. Run to the cross again this morning, not for salvation unless you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, but run to it for your validation. Run to it to be vertically validated in Christ and so then we can then be agents on a horizontal plane. Got any friends like that? I'd encourage you to get some and I'd encourage you to be one like that. And we will look at the the intricacies of that in the weeks to come of what does it really mean to be like a redemptive friend? This is kind of just a cursory look over what we're going to study in the next two weeks. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you.